Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Price of Football, the podcast that follows the money behind our beautiful absent game. I'm Kevin Day and of course the reason you're here is Kieran Maguire, football finance expert, lecturer at Liverpool University. Now Kieran, in a, a parallel universe I would have a hangover after celebrating the three points against Burnley that saw Palace safe from relegation. Instead I've got a hangover after a very, very heavy scrabble game last night. I had terrible letters, let's not go any further. How are you feeling this morning? Obviously there'll be no hangover involved, we know that. Well, I'm I'm very good. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to you sprinkling some showbiz stardust into my otherwise dull life. So, uh, always look forward to these recordings. Your otherwise dull life. You, every time I turn the TV on, all I can see is your bookcase in the background on some TV show or other. You're never off the telly. Yes, uh, and as an academic, I, I find it really uncomfortable. I, I'm, I'm not designed <laughs> for television. Um, so, you know, the, the sooner this all this craziness ends, first of all, of course, on, on a health level, but uh, I can go back to my spreadsheet and my and my little life. Yes, uh, and we're doing this on Zoom, which won't surprise people, but Kieran thought it'd be hilarious if he put a spreadsheet up on my laptop when I opened it, which literally made me jump backwards um now it's it's a monday kieran it's actually it's sunday we're recording this but it is a monday uh, i think today it's getting confusing so it's letters day but before we get to letters um some very big news from the premier league this week with the 30 percent pay cut for premier league players and various donations being made by the premier league to the nhs and to uh, the other leagues the 30 percent pay cut um is this compulsory or are players being asked to take a 30% pay cut for the duration? Well, it's, it's getting very complicated because overnight the PFA came out with a statement to say that they rejected the uh, compulsory 30% reduction uh, that was being requested by clubs. Now, re- reading the initial uh, publication, the, the, the initial press release from the Premier League and the EFL, um, it, it appeared that the Premier League players were being asked to either reduce or defer their pay. So uh, it could be you know, if you're deferring pay, what you're doing is, is you're helping short-term cash flow, which clearly that has benefits. If it's a reduction, um, that that caused a bit of an issue. Uh, the PFA's argument is that some clubs can still continue to afford to pay players their full amounts. And therefore, if, they, if you just reduce their pay unilaterally, um, clearly the, the players will be 
you know they'll be less less well off uh, but there's there's still as we know uh, earn significant sums of money uh, but the PFA pointed out that uh, the players are paying tax at 40 to 45% on their earnings at that level so therefore at present, we, we estimate that uh, it's about one to one point two billion pounds a year that's paid in PAYE, and all that would happen that would be less money going through to the government coffers, and and therefore less money for for you know social services, NHS, policing services, and things of that nature. So I, I think it it hasn't been dealt with very well by anybody involved and and the football industry is taking a bit of a kicking yeah it took a bit of a kicking from matt hancock the health secretary as well which um i presume he's taking the credit for this because it happened the day after he laid into the premier league in particular it's that classic uh technique of throwing a dead cat on the table to distract the fact that the government had not been doing a particularly good job on providing ppe testing etc so he turns around and says, well, what about the Premier League? And then that, of course, kicks off people like Andrus Townsend saying most players are, are doing stuff on an individual basis. Clubs are doing stuff on an individual basis. So I think the one thing we can agree on, that this wasn't a response to Matt Hancock's statement. This was obviously something that's been in discussion for some weeks, I assume, from the Premier League. Yes, there'd already been a meeting scheduled between the uh, Premier League, between the League Managers Association, the the EFL um, and the PFA. Uh, Perhaps they could have acted a bit quicker. And I I do think that sort of uh, getting their ducks in a row has has not been a priority for them. And and they've they've been outmaneuvered by people. Um, I think the person I'm most uh, annoyed with is, is the journalist who, when he could have been asking Matt Hancock a question about testing, tracing, provision of PPE, um, isolation progress and things of that nature, decided to give a complete triviality that the football industry, as we've as we've discussed on many occasions, is a small industry compared to the rest of the UK. Um, so to to throw to throw, as you say, to throw footballers onto the fire well, was a diversionary tactic. And, and the journalist involved, frankly, is a disgrace. Yeah. Uh, I wish you hadn't sent isolation. We we recorded the FYP Palace pod yesterday. Uh, two chaps in their 30s and two in their 50s. And every time the host, the lovely James Daly, mentioned isolation, the two older chaps, i.e. me and the other chap, started singing the Joy Division song of the same, which really confused him. <laughs> right, on to, on to questions. Now, um, we, we need to point out that um, some of these questions were sent in pre-virus because we want to keep an air of normality. Um, we've got a couple of COVID questions at the, at the end, but I want to ask this one right at the top because it seems very pertinent given um, especially Tottenham's announcement and uh, that furlough. Andy, uh, Sadler Andy, so I guess he's a Walsall fan, asked us on Twitter, Will the payment of furlough money from the government um, be classed as revenue if football clubs take this up? Like we've, we've seen that Tottenham are, they've furloughed their staff, so they'll be paying them the full money, but taking 80% of that from the government, would that count as revenue? And could that possibly allow clubs to reduce losses and therefore avoid FFP? Or are we, are we not talking about an amount of money significant enough to register? Um, I don't think the numbers are going to be very significant for a club such as Spurs, but a lot will depend upon how long um, the the restrictions uh, in terms of uh, re- returning to normality take. Uh, I think we estimated that the cost for Spurs was around about three and a half to four million pounds over the course of three months, um, which isn't particularly significant. In fact, it's covered by Daniel Levy's bonus. Um, 
from an FFP perspective, it, it will reduce your FFP losses. Having said that, the clubs clearly are going to be losing far more money than that in terms of lost matchday income. And if the TV companies do decide to demand refunds, uh, I, I think the, the amount of money from the furlough will be dwarfed uh, considerably by the lack of revenue or the rebates being given to the likes of BT and Sky and so on. Talking of FFP, I think it's worth um, repeating for new listeners what you said. Um, I can't remember. Time is just a, a fluid concept at the moment, isn't it? You, you think FFP will probably be put on hold for a season or two after this, um, except for the, the cases that are ongoing? Well, I think that will be a logical thing to do. Ultimately, um, I think what you and me and what all football fans want is that we would like to see 92 professional football clubs in existence for whenever football returns in terms of the next full season. Um, Anything which makes it more difficult for clubs to survive um, and, and financial fair play it is an abstract concept. Um, and as we've seen, that there have been an awful lot of very clever people coming up with very clever schemes to circumvent it. For the moment, let's just concentrate on A, getting the nation back to health, B, getting industries back on their feet. And then perhaps in a couple of years' time, we can start to look at the scamps and the scoundrels who are um, circumventing rules and, and manipulating football money. At present, it's a complete non issue. Well, most of the questions I'm going to ask you now, technically, in the circumstances, are non-issues, but they're good questions. And I want to ask them because, like a lot of people, I want to pretend that there is some kind of normality going on. So these are questions that we were asked before this all happened, but they're good questions and they remind us of times when football was here and, and when it will come back. So Sean Hubbard has asked a question, and it's not something we've talked about before, really, which I'm surprised. Do clubs, will clubs, still pay for policing at games? And if so, who decides how many police should be at a game? Right. Um, Clubs, uh, the the cost of policing football, uh, and I went on to Hansard for this to to do my research, uh, the total estimated cost was around about £48 million for uh, I think for 2018 now the police only managed to recover directly from the clubs around about five and a half million so that's just over 10 percent um and some matches um the the costs to the work were very very significant um there, there was a legal case um, a year or so ago, um, and, and this was between one of the local police forces in Ipswich Town, um, and the, the judgment which was made by by the uh, the ruling authorities was that the police can only recover the costs which are incurred in the stadium only. Now, historically, they'd always been able to try to claim for um, costs of the surrounding areas. If you think about the the roads, which are you know ne- next to the grounds, and therefore you know, we need a police presence, well, they they tried to do that. Um, it it went to uh, it went to a judgment, and the judgment came back in favour of the football clubs. In terms of the the numbers of police at a stadium, that's normally agreed in advance between uh, the, normally there will each uh, club has a police liaison officer. Um, they will 
uh, they will mark out each match. They, they'll say that some matches will be you know, category A when it's a, a, you know, a local derby, uh, dropping down to B and C and so on. And that will have an impact upon the number of police at the stadium. Um, most of the stewarding, as we know, is done by people employed by uh, the, the club itself, either you know, directly or indirectly via a, a security company. So the the... The costs inside the stadium are borne by the club in terms of the police. Um, the stewarding is paid for by the police, uh, sorry, by the club. Everything that takes place outside um, is is paid for by the taxpayer. That does seem harsh um, on the police forces, especially when their their resources are so stretched. But um, you know, the, the clubs will argue that. They do pay huge sums into the public coffers in terms of direct taxation, but also the local rates which they pay to the local authorities. Hansard, of course, being a record of uh, every parliamentary debate, and that answers the question of what you read when you're not reading spreadsheets. So it's, it's a, you're having a high old time, spreadsheets and parliamentary debate. Now, we've got a question here from a Palace fan, so it's going to be a good question. This is Mark Flannery. Um, Palace fan, it, you've, you've mentioned uh, taxes earlier. So Mark puts his case, like a Premier League player on, on £5 million a year, say, would be paying roughly half of that, 42% probably on a PAYE basis. Now, we know that in business and in the entertainment industry, a lot of high earners find schemes that mitigate tax payment, if you like, investment schemes. Mark's question is, would a, would a club help or direct a player towards ways that he could reduce his, his his tax burden or is that purely down to the the individual or the agent to find out we saw as a couple of years back there was a, an investment in films scheme that a lot of players took part in so would would clubs be looking to help players like that help players is the wrong word but or, or is that purely down to the individual to find ways to to avoid paying taxes pay less say pay less tax it really is an individual decision. It could be that the, the club might have a preferred advisor. They might be able to direct them towards people. Um, and I certainly know, as, as I used to audit the accounts of a football club, that what tended to happen was that the, the accountants involved also tended to get involved with the players. Simply it was because more convenient. Um, but there's no obligation for the for the clubs to do so. Uh, certainly the, the film scheme rules have been toughened. Um, we, we spoke uh, a, a couple of weeks ago about some of the players' pay going in the form of image rights to separate companies, and that way the, the player's uh, tax burden can be reduced uh, because the money can be distributed after he retires or paid out to uh, members of his family who are on lower uh, income levels and so on. Um, and there's also something called a, a social investment scheme, which I think at the time when the, the football industry is taking a lot of stick, you know, perhaps this is something which um, ought to be investigated uh, further by players' advisors, where players can give money to good causes and get tax relief on that as well. So it, it, it's complicated as always. Everything to do with taxes is, is very nuanced, is very complex. Um, but it, ultimately, it is a player's own responsibility. I'm slightly distracted by the sight of your dog trying to open the door in the background there. Because uh, I think I win because my cat can open doors. So there you are. Um, in, in a bizarre attempt at balance, our producers followed a question from a Palace fan with a question from a Brighton fan. I don't know why it's done that. It's oh, a chap called Andy Brown. Bizarrely, as it's a question from a Brighton fan, it's actually quite interesting. Um, and it's it's something that had never occurred to me before, mainly because I'm not young, and you'll find out why I say that now. Um, 
Uh, Andy Brown, Brighton fan, says he met a football analyst recently. Now, I'm guessing that's probably you, Kieran, to be honest. <laughs> no, no, I, don't, I don't talk to people. That's true. Also, you don't ask their names, do you? You're too, you're too big and grand to ask the little people's names. Now, he said this football analyst said to him, uh, uh, when I first read this question, I, I was unsure, but the more I think about it, the more I think it is a decent question. He said, this guy told him that young football fans are more likely to support a player than a club as they grow up. They'd be more interested in, in a, an individual player than a club. And this would possibly have in, implications for attendance and revenue. But and thinking about it, if, if you've got a whole group of kids who are obsessed with Wilf Zahar, for example, and possibly if Wilf were to leave Palace for a bigger club or another club, they would switch their allegiance. I mean, God forbid, but you know what young people are like these days. They, they would follow Wilf. Is that, is that a possibility, do you think? And, and if so, what... What could that mean? I don't. I don't really see what clubs could do about it. But it's an interesting concept, isn't it? Well, I think I think there's a reflection on the cult of personality that we have these days, but also uh, upon the impact of social media on young people. If you take if you take a look at the numbers, Cristiano Ronaldo has 210 million Instagram followers. Lionel Messi has 146 million. Barcelona, which is the the richest football club in the world, has only 85. So therefore, you you might have somebody saying, "Well, I, I'm a Lionel Messi fan." Now, it will will it affect somebody that's been brought up in Catalonia? Will it affect somebody that's been brought up in South London who's a Palace fan or has been brought up um, in Manchester as United or a City fan? No, it won't. But I think for those people who see football more as a form of entertainment rather than for us, it's a religion. You know, it's, it's the closest thing to a religion. It is a cult, uh, the nature of our following. Um, we, we could not change our allegiances, but for people who have a more casual relationship with the game, that certainly is the case. And certainly when you talk to uh, marketing people, when you talk to people in advertising, they say, actually, it is the player that is the value rather than the club itself um, because players come and go. But... Um, Hey, the dog opened the door. The dog did just open the door <laughs> in the background. Um, and um, therefore, uh, the, the the contract with players in terms of endorsement of products is just as valuable, if not more valuable, than it is for the club itself um, because of the, the, the incredible star-like status that we have. Because... When, I think when we, when you or I were growing up, yes, footballers we always looked up to, um, but the the celebrity nature was far lower than it was for people who are working in other aspects of of the entertainment industry. And, and football is now seen as entertainment; it, it is beyond a sport. I'm guessing you must have more Instagram followers than any other football account in, in the country. <laughs> Would be my guess, surely. I, I I don't tend to do Instagram. I'm, no, I'm, I'm more of a Twitter, as you probably gather. I, I know. I, I don't quite get Instagram. But my son says, oh, I've done an Instagram story. He's like, oh, that's nice. I'm all done. Put it up on the fridge and we'll all read it. Um, <laughs> we've never had a question from a York City fan before, but we're going to rectify that. Alistair Lunn, uh, a slightly forlorn York City fan. And again, this is obviously a question that was written before the current circumstances. Uh, he... <laughs> Alistair Young says he's Lund, beg your pardon, says he's fed up seeing York City lose to a succession of semi-professional football teams. But leads into a question: How do part-time player contracts work? Do they do they are they done to the same time scale as, as a, a full-time contract? So that, do they all end on June the thirtieth, the way that many full-time contracts do? Is there a massive difference, or is it only 
in the, the amount of money they're paid and the amount of hours they actually work. Well, I contacted uh, Lee Wargan, our, our guest from uh, last Thursday's show, and yes. Lee was absolutely brilliant then. Um, and, and he gave me a very comprehensive answer. He said that uh, as far as most National League clubs are concerned, the full-time clubs are able to offer the players 52 weeks of employment. Um, but there's not many of them that are, are in that position. Most clubs are offering either a 44-week, so effectively June and July you're not going to get paid, and, and they'll, they'll start to pay, to pay the players when pre-season training starts. When you then drop perhaps into National League North, it could be as short as 38 weeks, i.e. the pre-season training comes down to you as an individual and we won't pay you a bean. Um, and then uh, in, in terms of the part-time contracts, they normally commit the players to doing two to three either mornings or evenings of uh, of training a week and, and the rest of the time the, the players effectively need to generate money from their other employment. Uh, if you think that when we had Neil Doncaster on the show, um, he said that only 14 clubs in Scotland are full-time um, and the majority of them are part-time. So I, I was sort of doing a reading around you. They're, they're training as electricians. They're, they're, they've got jobs working in, in other industries and things of this nature. And, and football is seen as a top-up to their main salary. So for those eight, nine weeks, June, July, are those players technically out of contract or not part of that football team? Well, it, it, it does depend. I mean, most most players in in uh, in the national league and and league one, and national league north and south, I think they would probably be on one year deals. It'd be unusual for the clubs to offer them much longer than that. But it could be extended uh, to to a two year deal where you only get paid for so those for those forty four weeks. If you take a look at the NFL in uh, in in the states uh, in, in terms of gridiron football, the players there are only paid for the four months of the season, um, and they're unpaid by the clubs for the rest of it so it, it, it is uh, it's not just uh, happening in in football uh, it, it impacts upon other sports as well okay now our next question I, I, I need to ask you to keep it short because potentially you could take a week to answer this it comes from somebody called middling who I presume is just a very modest chap it's just that's the question here from middling uh, unless it's a small village in Norfolk I don't know and we have no name um, he basically what middling says is he wants you to answer his doctorate Kieran, he's doing a doctorate in, I presume, football finance. It would be odd if it was history. Um, he he wants to know what three things do you think clubs should be reporting in their accounts? I presume that they that they don't, and which implies that there are things that football clubs don't don't reveal. Well, I think the first thing that I would do is that I would say that because football clubs are community assets, because there are special rules in relation to football club creditors and so on, that, that they, can't, they can't have their cake and eat it. So I wouldn't allow those, uh, those clubs in the lower leagues to get away with um, abbreviated accounts, not showing the wage bill, not showing the, uh, the level of income or the losses. So that would be my first thing. Um, the second thing I would do is uh, there's a couple of clubs that do this. Um, I would say that uh, it's not a case of shaming clubs. I think it's just a case of being transparent. I'd have a wage breakdown between playing staff and non-playing staff. So therefore, yeah, we are leave, 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 yeah, we'll, we'll get back to furloughing a little bit later, but it will give us an indication as to how much uh, there, there is a split. Um, and, and the third thing is I would have more transparency in relation to uh, transfer fees. So therefore, for this undisclosed, well, you know, we're football fans. We we pay uh, we 
pay to attend, and I think we've got a, therefore a right to know. Again, if you look at the NFL, that they're very transparent in, in terms of many numbers, and not only show the transfer fees on an individual deal, but also show the agent fees which have been paid on each deal as well. If you take a look at Italian football, all the all the big Italian clubs do show that figure. Um, so so I think the clubs here in, in, in the UK that say, oh, we're, we're giving away state secrets, I'm not really sure that that applies. Um, and I think the final thing that I would do is that every club, and, and whilst this would be a nightmare 48 hours for me, every club announces their, their accounting results on the same day. So there's no opportunity for clubs to have advantages and disadvantages over each other. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. It would be a nightmare 48 hours for Mrs. Maguire, the Baroness. It would be the best 48 hours of your life, basically. It would be Christmas <laughs> and everything would come together. Um, Middling, I hope that answers your question. Um, if you do use those in your doctorate, let's hope that the person marking it isn't a listener to this podcast because you'll be in very serious trouble. Uh, at least paraphrase Middling, that would be my advice. Now, we've got uh, we've got two questions in the statement left, and, and we'll, we'll rush through these. These are, these are more topical um, the first one is uh, a friend of yours, a listener to the show, uh, ex-Crazy Gang, FA Cup winning penalty scorer Laurie Sanchez, um, who very much isn't taciturn. I think we need to point that out. He's, he's uh, coming on the show. Is he? Yes. When were you going to tell me that? Oh, so I, was, I was leaving it to a surprise for one of our Zoom conversations. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll make I'll make friends with him before we do that. Then, um, Laurie's question, and it, 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 it's it's very much germane, and it's it's something you mentioned earlier in passing. Um, how long before customers demanding uh, Sky BT refunds starts to have an impact on Premier League cash flow in particular? Um, well, the Sky and BT are both already suffering in terms of people cancelling. Um, what they're trying to do is, is they're doing sort of the equivalent of a furlough. They, they're saying to fans, uh, look, look, don't don't cancel your subscription. Uh, instead, we will we will pause it 
Um, I think the only thing fans need to be careful of is you, they're not going to do that automatically. You need to contact the, the TV companies to stop whatever it is going out each month going out. Um, that They are taking a big financial hit because if you think about the average subscription, if you look at the value of, of Sky and BT Sport as businesses, you know, we are talking multi-million pound businesses. So if they're going to lose what for them is their their main driver of subscriptions because uh, yeah, they are competing against Netflix, Amazon Prime, and, it, and it's a tough market out there. So uh, football has always been sort of the, the jewel in the crown from, from uh, Sky's perspective. So they are taking a financial hit. The longer the delay before we return to football, the more likely it is that they're going to turn around to the football authorities and say, You've you've broken your contract. You failed to deliver the last nine sets of matches. Um, therefore, we, we're not going to pay you uh, our next instalment. Now, we've already seen in uh, in League One in France um, both Canal Plus uh, or Plus um, and Bayin, the Qatari uh, broadcaster. They've uh, they've stopped paying the money due to to French football. So that's going to cause a cash flow crisis there. Um, we, we were remember we had Neil Doncaster on a few weeks ago, and presently in Scotland, uh, the rights are split between BT and Sky Sports, uh, and BT have lost the rights for next season onwards. So therefore, BT have got absolutely nothing to lose by saying, "Well, you've not dev- you've not provided us with the matches. We're not going to pay that last instalment." Sky are in a slightly more delicate position, I think, because they are so reliant upon Premier League rights. So. I, th- I think that some form of compromise may be reached, um, certainly uh, south of the border and, and uh, north of the border as well, from Sky's perspective, because they, they don't want to upset a, a longer term relationship for something which might turn bad over three or four months. And I suppose legally as well, the clubs would probably turn around and say, well, we, we haven't failed to provide them. We've been prevented from providing them by the government, which is a, a totally different thing, isn't it? And then, And again, we talked about the Tottenham decision last week having PR effects in future, I don't think there's a lot of mileage in Sky actually affecting the income of clubs by doing that, is it? When they know that the club, there's nothing, absolutely nothing the clubs, there's no intent from the clubs to not provide these games. And as we know, football clubs are desperately trying to find a way to, to finish the season. So it'd be a strange decision, I think, business-wise from Sky to do that, would it not? I think it would be counterproductive, and what you could see, especially if it resulted in in clubs going to the wall, I, I think yeah. there would be a negative reaction from a lot of football fans, not only of the clubs involved, who clearly the first thing that you know, I, I, you know, without being too rude, I never used to subscribe to Sky. Um, while when Palace got promoted to the Premier League, because I thought, well, I'm not, I'm not giving money to Palace. Um, and when we got to the Premier League, I changed my tune because I'm a hypocrite. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and that that's the nature of football fandom. But if I was if I was a fan of a lower league club and my club went to the wall as a result of money not being paid uh, by the broadcasters to the football authorities, the first thing I would do is get my revenge. And I think a lot yeah. of other well go good minded fans of other clubs might take a similar stand. Uh, so it, it's not in Sky's interests. However, Sky is reliant upon cash, as are all businesses. And if, if Sky hasn't physically got the cash to pay the, uh, the football clubs, then it can't make the payments. Sky's got the cash, Kieran. We know that. Let's not, um, and, and speaking of which, we don't want your money. Palace, I'm going, to do my, I'm going to phone Palace up and say, any money that comes in from Brighton, send it back. Um, just off the top of your head to finish this conversation, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you this because I always assume that you, you will know the answer to any question I ask you off the top of my head. 
the what's the the ratio of uh, domestic household income for Sky to pubs, for example? I know they offered pubs a break quite early on. How much of the the subscription comes from pubs? It's it's relatively small. Um, we're oh, talking oh, okay, less, right. certainly less than ten percent. Uh, but whilst whilst the individual fees are very high, um, you know, Sky has around about uh, you know, a, a million to two million subscribers on an individual basis. So therefore, compared to that, the number of pubs is few and far between. And also, a lot of pubs have taken the decision not to um, have the the uh, sporting rights simply because they they've been forced out of it. I do think that there is an ongoing pricing problem because one of the things that's that's going to happen when normality returns is because so many people have been made unemployed because so many people will have taken such a financial hit that you know going to a pub is going to be a more expensive exercise for individuals so therefore yeah, i think the pubs need to the pubs need to think carefully about what they can provide and i think sky in turn with so many pubs going out of business need to reduce their costs to the to the entertainment providers as well yeah well that, that's a sad thing a lot of a lot of our favorite pubs won't be there when this is over um Saab has asked a question. Now, it, it, Saab's, the answer to this question will change as we ask it because it's, we've already mentioned it and it's a very flexible situation. But basically, Saab, this is a question from a couple of days ago, because he's talking about Rick Parry and his, his, his previous statement regarding not wanting PL handouts. Um, and, and Saab basically going, is this, is this proof, is like Rick Parry's pride that he will accept clubs like Berry going to the wall as collateral damage? Or is it, is it pride or is it to do with the fact that he doesn't want to upset his his former friends in the Premier League? And the second part of the question is what level of funding would be needed if football isn't back, say, by August, September? Well, um, I, I understand Rick Parry's comments. Uh, he says he doesn't want a begging bowl culture um, from the EFL. And, and that has some merit. Um, equally, uh, clubs in the EFL are already dependent upon the Premier League for cash. The Premier League is the biggest single provider of revenue to um, an awful lot of EFL clubs uh, in terms of sponsors and so on because clubs in the championship get around about £4.5 million a season. Um, in in League 2, it's around about 450 k So the Premier League does give money. Uh, now, that money is linked to conditions in terms of the, the elite player performance plan, which allows the Premier League clubs to effectively hoover up uh, young players very, very cheaply. Uh, it would be a disaster if any EFL clubs went to the wall. Uh, but part of me also says... No other industry in in the country, with the exception of grocery stores and you know medical provision store medical provision companies, are going to be immune from the the effects of the pandemic and, and the economic consequences. So, should football clubs be uh, removed from that, I, th- I think it's difficult to justify when. when when, as you say, you work in the entertainment industry, we look at the hospitality industry, we look at tourism, we look at transport, um, everybody's going to take a hit. Um, I, I think the Slovakian champions went into liquidation two days ago. So it, it's happening across Europe as well. Uh, the the money which has come from the Premier League in respect of the deal that was announced on Friday, um, again, it's not fresh money. There's been talk about £125 million coming down from the Premier League. It's not, it's not extra money. It's an acceleration of the next payment. So what that will do is that will simply buy time. 
Is the distribution of money between all 92 football clubs fair? That's that's a question to be answered by, by the clubs themselves. Uh, and the whole point about having the Premier League in the first place, it was for the bigger clubs to have more money. And they've all that they've ever done since 1992 is changed and tweaked the rules so that they've got more and more, so a bigger, bigger slice of a bigger, bigger cake. Arguing against Rick Parry, though, there's a difference, and I quite agree football shouldn't be singled out, but there's a difference between asking for government help and accepting help from a more wealthy person. It's, it's say, for example, you know, a mega-rich comedian, uh, you know, Peter Kay, for example, was to offer grants to, to new comics who aren't working like my son. That's very different to asking the government to help people like my son, isn't it? And, and so I can't quite see what his objection would be i understand that no one wants to be seen to be to be begging as you say but i it 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 seems strange to me that he wouldn't accept help when it's needed you know the, the premier league have offered the, the nhs 20 million pound the nhs aren't going to turn around and say well no thank you we'd rather have it from a a not tainted organization well, aren't they are they yeah i I, I think he doesn't want to be seen to be asking for it. If it's offered by the Premier League, right. he, he, it's a completely different uh, dynamic. So what has happened is effectively a compromise whereby the Premier League has uh, given this money to help those lower league clubs in the short term. But all that, that is doing is is kicking a bigger problem down the road. Uh, you know, football in the lower leagues is losing huge sums of money. The reason why that's the case is... It, it's out of control in terms of its costs. Uh, Reading's accounts came out uh, yesterday. Um, as you know, they come out at 10 past six in the morning. I'm there at, <laughs> waiting for them with, with my begging bowl. Um, and, and Reading, who, who are a football team who finished 20th in the championship, they spent £226 on wages for every £100 that comes through the door. Now, under those circumstances, yeah. should we have any sympathy for a club that is simply out of control. Yeah, it's a fair point. Now, this last question has become a statement because um, Dave Tucker asked it and he asked it on Thursday, so his timing was a bit unfortunate. But I want to read the, the second part of that because the first part of Dave Tucker's question was, what are your views on the PL, the Premier League being made to help financially? We know the Premier League have got some very good community schemes in place. A lot of clubs have in particular. And we know that a lot, many Premier League players were helping already. So that that's kind of been um, negated by what the announcement on, on Friday. But I, I just want to read what he says at the end, which is basically, if anything good does come from this, it, it could be that there will be a rebalancing of the view about the people that are really valuable in society. It's like we, we all love our football clubs. We love our players. But you know, as, as we see with the the 8 o'clock Thursday evening round of applause for the NHS. A mate of mine is a van driver who's done over a 1,000 miles this week delivering PPE. It, it, it could be that football has to step down from the pedestal a little bit and that we, it, human nature is such that it probably won't last for long, but at least it has given us an indication that you know, football's brilliant, as, as you said last week, the most important of the least important things, but in the end, it, it isn't essential. No, it's not. It, it's entertainment. It's a distraction. It gives us, it gives us something to look forward to at the end of the week in exactly the same way as going to a show, going to a restaurant, and going to the pub does. And, and as that, and, and as such, it it serves a great good for the public because otherwise our lives are simply nothing but work. Um, so you know, there's there's good and bad. I, I agree with with Dave's comments. 
Having said that, in terms of having additional funding for uh, health workers, for people working in essential services, we we have chosen as a nation to go down a low tax route. Now that's not a party political comment. You know, that's that's simply an observation. As you as you probably have gathered, I've got no interest in party politics whatsoever. I I think they fail on a competence level on, in, in, in practically all the major parties, and I simply wouldn't employ any of them if if I was looking to take on somebody for a job. Um, so, in an ideal world, you would think that there's would be a rebalancing, but Think about what happened after World War Two. Did all of the, the people who laid down their lives on the front line in a different type of war, were they given pay rises at the end of World War Two? You know, since then, we've seen Afghanistan, we've seen the Falklands, we've seen Iraq, we've seen people going on tours of Northern Ireland and not coming back. Well, we don't go and pay the army staff additional money on the basis of that um, because we get distracted by other things. In an ideal world, yes, I think there is... You, you, it's it's uh, unfair that people are working in these industries that are unsung heroes don't get the the acknowledgement for it. Is it going to change the, the nature of the modern society where everything is isn't even tomorrow's fish and chip paper? It's it's you know by morning we've forgotten what we've done the previous evening. Um, that's not going to change at all. Football is successful because we as consumers have made it a success. Yeah, that's true. On the other hand, after the Second World War, we did elect arguably the most radical government this country's ever had. And uh, recent research has indicated that soldiers who voted by post, most of them were still overseas, overwhelmingly soldiers voted for that radical Labour government. So there's, there, there are different perspectives. And it's it's a, a point that Dave Tucker made well, and I wanted to end on that. What What I look forward to as a distraction, of course, Kieran, is seeing you twice a week albeit on a tiny screen with a dog trying to get out of you. <laughs> that, dis- that distracted me for five minutes while he stared at the door handle trying to work out what to do with it. Um, uh, and we'll be back on uh, Thursday. We'll be back we? with another edition. We, I, I did wonder whether we would have much to talk about while this was going on, but we, it turns out we've got more to talk about. And I think, hello, the cat's come to say hello. Um, <laughs> the cat's come to say that she can open doors. Um we're going to have a lot to talk about afterwards, which is, um, I, I just can't wait for when the football's back and we can at least have a five-minute argument before we talk that, money about Palace of Brighton. That's right. I mean, I, I really regret saying, I think, earlier this year, I don't care what it is, but something needs to take away the focus from VAR in my life. That's <laughs> uh, that's clearly the worst thing I've ever said. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you for your questions. Monday's uh, our questions day. We'll be back on Thursday with, uh, it's not a normal pod, uh, nothing's normal these days. Thank you, Kieran. Uh, I think it's walkies time for the dog, judging by how desperate he was to get out, or he's not a fan of spreadsheets either. Um, the Price of Football is adapted production. If you want to send questions in for our next Monday question show, it's questions at priceoffootball.com. Stay safe, stay indoors, wash your hands. Bye, everybody. Cheerio. The Price of Football. Bye, son, for the fall.